Blog Talk Radio. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. You're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry, uh, Thanksgiving Extravaganza. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and I am here today with a writer from Washington State named Benjamin Hobbs. Benjamin, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Um, you are from, I don't know how to pronounce the name of your city in Washington. Would you say that for me, please? <laughs> uh, yes, it's pronounced Issaquah. It looks much more complicated than that, just, you know, in my own defense there. <laughs> no, Have it you could lived be. there your whole very life? Well could be. Uh, <laughs> I've lived here most of, most of my life, uh, but there are there are some interesting names around here, like Puyallup and stuff, and nobody would guess that. Puyallup is no. pronounced that way. It's P U Y A L L U P, and it's interesting. So, so, uh, so understandable. Uh, yeah, you know, all these names from different places. If you're not from there, you never get it right, and you always give yourself away from if you say it wrong. Happens here exactly. in Jersey too, oddly enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you have something you're going to start us off with. It's a. It's a poem, um, and it's from your new book. I'd like you to read that, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the new collection coming out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this, this one is called Inwit. Um, All my native wit contender must procure as blind above the surface of those inconsistent waters sometimes, dashing sunlit on the lake. My native wit's worth can't be paid in legal tender, but still in dividends. So strike his oars that smite the waves, or show me safe to passage, destination lavish dinners with spirits, to chase and be chased, palatal, my beating heart preserve, my mind, for the presentation to guests of something to remove all doubt. And that's that's it, that's in wit. <laughs> Now that is one of the shortest poems in this collection. It's also part. It's part of a section of standalone poems, whereas a lot of the rest of the manuscript is um, is sections of one very long work. Tell me a bit about how you constructed this manuscript. Um, yeah. Well. Um, well, at first I just sent you the long work because I was thinking that that would be a good idea as a book in and of itself. It was already longer than either of the two self-published books I had before, and mm-hmm. I thought I just thought it was a good idea. But um, but uh, I think um, several months, like six months afterwards or something like that, I I thought, well, you know, I could I could definitely add a few poems to this and. And um, uh, poems that I'd written over that six months that was between that and the time that I decided to add, and and so I thought, well, this, these will be these will be perfect for it, and um, and so I decided to make it a manu a collection of poems rather than one sort of enormous long poem. It's like an enormous long poem with a bunch of uh, <laughs> a bunch of uh, clarifications, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> You are a meticulous editor. I mean, you have, I know, just from the time that I first saw the manuscript and till now, it's gone through revisions, tons of revisions. And you work on it, um, you work on, on poems that you've written before over and over again. How do you know when a poem is done? Like, what makes you think, okay, I, I need to leave this alone now? Or and is it ever at that point? 
It, it is. It actually, uh, some poems are very much at that point. And actually, surprisingly, the poems that rhyme, I think, are the easiest to get to that point, actually, because uh, you just say, well, it rhymes, and, and it conveys exactly what I wanted it to convey. Mm. And, uh, you know, you, it's it's one of those things that is just aesthetically pleasing. And um, mm-hmm. I, actually, I actually got to that point with one of the poems in my manuscript, and you you saw my status updates about that is that I was saying wow this is this is the way poetry was meant to be, and uh, that was with the one of the one of the rhyming poems it has a it has kind of a complex rhyme scheme to it actually, but um, it was just one of those things that worked very well I thought, and um, and it conveyed just the exact feeling that I wanted when I first wrote it I mean it's I guess that's that's what I look for the most is whether it conveys the feeling when I wrote it, uh, mm-hmm. when I read it again, even though I don't necessarily feel that feeling when I'm re- uh, before I've read it. Mm-hmm. When you work in rhyme, I mean, you're, you're actually one of the writers. You're a young writer, so I want to make two points here, that you're a young writer and you work in multiple forms, and that's um, that's not the most common thing in the world. A lot of people... Um, start with rhyme and then move away from it and then maybe sometimes move back to it a little bit later on in their writing career, but you're not afraid of it. So tell me a bit about what what you like about different forms in your poetry. Uh, yeah, well, I, I just... Um, it, it's quite as simple as uh, sort of looking at, uh, I guess, T.S. Eliot or Shakespeare or things like that is that um they were they were not certainly not afraid to use rhyme at, at least T S Eliot wasn't in the beginning and then he sort of mm-hmm. moved away from that and it was sort of a an arc away from that if you I guess if you will because his later poems I don't think have any rhyme at all but mm-hmm. um but Shakespeare was able to rhyme pretty much at any time I think in his writing career that he wanted to and uh, granted, his later plays show less rhyme than his earlier plays in a, in a general sense. There's still a uh, play like Love's Labor's Lost, which is composed all in rhyming couplets. And it's just right. a, it's one of the silliest plays he's ever written. But um, <laughs> but I just love it. I, I love that play. And I love a lot of the things, you know, most of the things Shakespeare's done, so... So I thought, well, I could. I think I can use rhyme uh, as freely as that, as as any time that I feel like it is needed. So that's uh, that's basically what I feel about it. And do you start like when you start a poem, you have an inspiration for something? Do you start it with the concept that this is a rhyming piece, or it's not? Does it evolve into that, or is it that way from the get go for you? Uh, usually, I start out with um, one line. I mean, it, it all goes like one line at a time, and almost all poems of mine start out with one line that I go, "Wow, that's that's a cool line. I like the way that sounds." And if I can, if it's you know, if it's metrical or if it's rhythmic or or it sounds like it could rhyme with something, then sometimes sometimes the second line that comes along does rhyme with it, or sometimes sometimes it doesn't, and that's. I mean, oddly enough, that's kind of the way that uh, ultimately a poem is decided whether it's rhymed or not. Uh, I almost never decide 
immediately that um, I'm going to write a rhyming poem or something like that. It just sort of comes naturally as the poem's being written, like, hey, I could do this in rhyme. I'll do it. <laughs> mhm, mhm. And it's interesting to me that it evolves for you that way. And um, does every um, the the way a poem starts you is it always the first line that you get first, or could that line that starts the whole poem off for you in the writing process does that line sometimes find its way to another place within the poem? Oh well, uh, yeah. I often I often draft poems quite a bit. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so so often what you'll see in that manuscript actually there are second, third, fourth, or fifth drafts or something mm-hmm. like that. And naturally, in the drafting process, lines get shuffled around all the all yeah. the time. In fact, I um, I probably spend more time shuffling lines around than than just about any anything else because there are some lines that I like so much. And you know it's like a like Faulkner says you gotta or kill your babies or something like that. Um, <laughs> it, he meant he, what he meant there was that sometimes you gotta sort of sacrifice your best writing if it doesn't go with the whole the whole piece. Right. You know. <laughs> right. I think that's so true, and it's one of the hardest things as a writer to do is to to lose your attachment to the things that um, that don't serve the poem, and it's hard to know where that line is sometimes. Um, I'm going to read another poem of yours, and um, this one is called Fate Uncertain, and it goes like this. Passing other cars driving on my way home, I was barreling at the speed of the limit profundity, perhaps because of the cries of lonely women, bored, turned off by the life and poetry of W.V. Yeats, or did I know something deeper? My life, it seems ordained in ways, and yet so uncertain in others. Am I fated to live like Yeats? I had dreamt the acceptance, it is true, but nothing past that did I predict. As I wash my face before the trip, prepare, prepare, prepare myself this way. For all I know, I could meet you, and... But it is too much to bear, to put in words. Once and all again, those old emotions come back. If the worst is worse, then can I shrug? I laugh, I laugh, and yet my innards turn, discomforted by the prospect of dismay, the process of a mechanical loneliness. I lean my head back, close mine eyes, and suffer. Sorrow, sorrow, again sorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Funny, those who wish to poetize, if they knew, it's small consolation to know good art comes from this mixed-up confusion that flows. And I really like that poem because it's you know it's um it's a mature poem. It's not the poem of a beginning writer, but it talks about things that are familiar to all of us from at any point in our in our writing path. You know, from the first time that you write the uncertainty, uh, all the way through. I think to becoming you know I think that that doesn't fully go away for people. You never know how your work will be received, but it also. You know, it's not just about writing, you know, and I think that's that's one of the things that works very well in this piece. Um, what made you want to include this in the manuscript? <clears throat> um, yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I uh, actually wrote it, and when I was starting to write it, I was like, well, this isn't too great or anything, but I think I'll include it somewhere or, or do something with it. And, you know, it's it's just one of those poems that somehow, 
somehow stumbled on its way to completion. Um, <laughs> I, it, I, uh, he asked me how I completed it or how I how I got the will to complete it. Uh, the answer, as simply as I could put it, is I don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those mysteries. But uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I did, and I actually uh, actually by the time it was done. I said, wow, this is a lot better than it was shaping up to be when it was starting out. And it was and it was so good um when I got to the end of it that um that I said this this could easily go in the manuscript and it works with all the themes that I talk about it in does. the um in the poetry and everything like that. Um I, I've been definitely doing things by themes and trying to make sure that everything in the manuscript works together and has a story arc, um, a, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. sort of story arc. Uh, so I, th- I felt that was it was an interesting way to begin, uh, sort of begin things. It's actually the second poem in the manuscript, but, um, but it still is like a poem, sort of about beginning sort of on the road. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. How long have you been writing? I've been writing uh, poetry since 2007, um, but I've been I've been writing since about age three. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, po- poetry is uh, just something that I got very interested in from Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson and was inspired by those mm-hmm. two and I said this is this is what I want to do so uh for now at least. <laughs> when did you start to think of yourself as a writer? Uh I started thinking of my, thinking of myself as a writer at around age 16 or 17 maybe. I had a I had an instructor in my school. It was a tutoring center because the school didn't know how to deal with me. But uh, uh, it was a tutoring place, and I dealt one-on-one with the instructors, and it was a very effective way for me to learn, I felt. And my mom felt Mm -hmm. so, too, and and so she kept me there. And and this one instructor that I had was very free and sort of open-minded like I was, and totally functioned on my level and, and she she was into writing and she wanted to be a writer and I I it just uh, it all sort of fell off onto me or, or uh, I guess I gleaned it off of her or something like that and uh, and it became it was infectious the attitude was infectious it was um, I want I suddenly wanted to do that too I said this is this is me too <laughs> mm-hmm Identification, a sense of uh, recognition, right? Mhm. But we went we went off the school curriculum in big ways. We were reading David Mamet plays, and uh, yeah. uh, it was a it yeah. was a wonderful time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of going off of curriculum. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's a conversation for another time because that could be a rant and a half right there. But <laughs> we don't want to do that. But I yeah, think that yeah, it exactly. shows. You know, it shows in your writing that you're able to think outside of a curriculum type of mentality. And I think that that, that your fearlessness is the thing that makes that pretty clear. Um, and you're not afraid to read on your own and you're not afraid to write on your own. You don't follow a script, which I think is, is an important quality, especially in a young writer. You know, it's good to see that. Um, what is What is your most favorite thing you ever wrote? 
I mean, you don't have to read it here if you don't have it in front of you. Don't feel like you have to recite it. But just tell me about it. What's the thing that you you loved writing most and you look back on it makes you feel like happiest or proudest of? Uh, probably my favorite uh, early thing, probably my favorite thing that I've written is, uh, is t- Telos or Telos, um, mm-hmm. the first poem in my new collection, uh, because I've been working on that since, since the beginning, basically, and it was a way, way, way different poem at the beginning, and I don't think there's a single line in there that I had when I started out, but uh, but it's mm-hmm. one of the first poems that I did. It was like, it was my song of myself, you know. I was Like I said, I was inspired by Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson at first, and I was going... You know, a song of myself. This is this is it. This is what poetry is meant to be. And and I thought like I could write I could write something like this too. <laughs> and it'll be a song of of myself. It'll be a song of Benjamin or whatever. <laughs> but um. Now but, but, that raises yeah, oh, another sorry. question for me. And I and I think that it's I'm I'm really glad that we're publishing Tell Us because it's um especially knowing its origin. It's uh, it's in some ways for me as I read it, it's, it represents evolution. You know, your evolution as a writer and things like that. And I think that's a very cool concept. But now I want you to tell the audience a little bit about your nom de plume, if you will. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, I chose Euphrates Moss as my nom de plume, sort of, and. Um, I mean, most people sort of think of a nom de plume as sort of a way of preserving anonymity and privacy, but uh, I actually think of it as a way of getting closer to who I really am, because I'm I'm certainly Benjamin Hobbs, that's that's no question, but um, it's it's definitely my dad's last name, whereas Moss is my mom's last name, and uh, I thought that Moss better sort of represented me because I'm from my mom's family and I'm descended from that lineage. My dad's adopted and, and you know, he, he uh, his brother, his brothers and sisters are all adopted too. So, so it's like my cousins on that side aren't really related by blood or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. but my mom's mm-hmm. side of family is, and we all live very close together. And I have a, a huge relationship with, with all of them because of our proximity. Uh, mm-hmm. So I consider myself sort of a more of a member of my mom's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then, it's a way of getting in touch with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Euphrates, so and Moss is a, a Welsh name. It was my my grandfather's name, and he was he was full on Welsh. He was about as Welsh as it gets. <laughs> and uh, Welsh is against in America because he was he was he was American. He was born here, but he was his parents were fully Welsh. And um, mm. and uh, Euphrates was my want to connect to a literary past other than Wales because I wanted mm-hmm. uh, I wanted something that sort of more um, I guess was more involved with Western literature and I thought the most involved place in Western literature is is Greece because it basically started it with the Odyssey and the Iliad and and all that and um and Euphrates of course isn't in Greece but it's a Greek name and I thought it really sounds cool and I really like those U names E U and um and so I wanted something like that and I wanted a name that nobody else had 
And I just knew that Euphrates was, you know, it's a, it's a place. It's the longest river probably in the world, I think. And it stretches from Turkey to Iraq, I think, or Iran. Mm. I, I forgot which. Um, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I wish I knew more. <laughs> um, and I think it flows into the into the Mediterranean. And um, and I just thought, wow, this is such this is so cool. It's a river that provides sustenance to all these people. Uh, obviously, more people than anybody else. It's the longest river in the world. Um, and I just thought, like, yeah, well, this is this is what my poetry is about because I'm I'm I've got a fertile mind, and I want to sort of provide uh, a mental sustenance to people. Uh, by writing poetry and and to have an audience and to to have them feel like they're smarter by by reading me. I know that sounds <laughs> sounds kind of uh, full of myself or anything, but I imagine most people when they write, they want to feel like they're they're doing something good in the world. You know. Well, sharing is always educational, isn't it? I mean, you're giving somebody a sense of. At the very most minimum, you're giving them a sense of something about yourself, which is um, informative, educational, sharing, all of that. So I, I don't think that's um, that's self-aggrandizing in any way. I think that's a true drive that we uh, writers all share, and readers too. You want to learn the same way. Um, do you mm-hmm. find that the nom de plume helps you freeze you in some way from your day-to-day self to be to to write in a different way, to write a little more freely, to access other places, literal from a literary perspective in your own uh, creativity. Uh, yeah, actually, I have been able to to uh, go different places literarily because of my nom de plume. Um, I actually self mythologize quite a bit in in tell tell us. Um, mm-hmm. I was ins- I've been inspired by uh, Dante to do that sort of thing because Dante is, you know, he's talking about how he traveled through hell and purgatory and and heaven and all that <laughs> and and I like how he uses Virgil too. He he, he brings Virgil with him as his guide to uh, mm-hmm. to all these places that he that he claims he's visited in the afterlife. And I thought if he can. Uh, if he can make a legend sort of out of himself, then certainly I could I could do that too, and I thought that would be very fun. And so part of part of Telos is is sort of a legend about myself <laughs> that I'm making up. That I think that's that's uh, you know again back to that fearlessness concept. That's something that it, it is one of the greatest things to be able to do as a writer. And, a, and if you can get over, a lot of people are held back by a sense of fear that they can't do that. But your attitude of if he can do it, I can do it too. I think is fantastic and something we want to promote in um, in other writers across the board. You have another selection that you'd like to read for us, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, uh, it's actually a sung poem, but I don't know. Um, maybe maybe you won't be able to hear the tune in this cell phone static, so maybe I could just read it. I don't know. <laughs> Try it. Let's see how it goes. What's the worst that can happen? You start over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you can't hear the tune, I guess it doesn't matter, but I'm, I'm not tone deaf or anything. Uh, so just, just, <laughs> just to, uh, um, what, what is it, uh, clarify. <laughs> It'll. It might sound like I am though, because of because of this reception. But um, 
This one is called <laughs> Move to the Villa Villa Coola. And it was part of my manuscript, but I took it out. And um, I, I like it, but it just didn't seem like it went with, with what was going on. So um, here it goes. I want to move to the Villa Villa Coola. Where Pippi L and the gang are doing hula. We'd sing and dance in a barrel housing villa. I want to move to the Villa Villa Coola. I want to leave from this degradation station. Cause something here causes lots of consternation. It all reminds me of verbal masturbation. I want to leave from this degradation station. I just can't be in this world of working bosses. Bureaucracy in a place with checks and losses. I get no props, though I'm hung up on the crosses. I just can't be in this world of working bosses. Forget those clocks mitigating what we do here. I cannot work under deadlines that I must clear. And so I smash all the faces ticking so near. (laughs) Forget those clocks mitigating what we do here. I can't go on being false to those around me To do what's good for society abounding I need to flee from the ones who make things sound free I can't go on being false to those around me I want to move to the Villa Villa Coola Where Pippi L and the gang are doing hula I'd sing and dance in a barrel housing villa. I want to move to the Villa Villa Coola. And that's it. I think that worked fine. I think that worked great, and it gave us a chance to hear some of your rhyme and meter today, which we didn't get to hear the rhyme in the other two. So I think that was a great choice, and I'm glad that you were able to sing it like that. That worked out really nice. Thank you. Yeah, we're totally out of time, as we knew we would be, um, as everyone who listens now understands, happens every week. <laughs> um, but I did want to also touch on one final thing here, and that is it's Thanksgiving and you don't like this day because you don't like the food. So tell me what you'll be eating today and what you'll be enjoying eating today, Benjamin. Well, I'll be eating, but I won't be enjoying it. <laughs> I will be eating all the regular Thanksgiving things. I will be eating the turkey and the ham and the mashed potatoes and all that. I like mashed potatoes, don't get me wrong, but it's a good good as a side <laughs> item to something more delectable as a dish. And, um, and of course, I will be eating. I, I probably won't eat any of the stuffing or anything like that because I absolutely hate stuffing. And, uh, and no... <laughs> Uh, no pumpkin pie or anything like that, but um, but uh, it'll be one of those days. It'll be like one of those days where I just have to <laughs> sort of make do scavenging for what I can eat. <laughs> <laughs> I could eat this meal every single day of my life and be as big as a house doing it, and not be unhappy with that. But you know, I don't have time to cook like that. That's the other part to it. So you know, that that may be a blessing in disguise. It, I mean, you it really is gonna very have to try. Yeah, huh? very time consuming, right? I, you're gonna have to really, really try that um, 
sweet potatoes with marshmallows. I'm telling you, you haven't lived till you've tried this. I don't know how you could possibly dislike it. <laughs> I will. I will put it on the. Uh, I'll put it on the docket. Actually, I'll try. Put maybe I'll try to cook it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and are, will you be watching football today, Benjamin? Uh, unfortunately, no football. I'm not uh, not too big of a sports fan. I know, I know you are, so I'm, I don't really want to say uh, too much bad about it or anything. But uh, no, no, well, no. Uh, you not know that what? I have a lot of bad things to say about it. It, it just doesn't really interest me too much. I hear you. I understand, but it is at least a day of rest and to be with some family and to have some fun and to eat a lot of mashed potatoes and ham. <laughs> yes, ham and mashed potatoes and and turkey. Oh my! <laughs> and I want to thank you for being on the show today and for taking time out of this day. A lot of people really would not have wanted to do this, but I'm really glad we're able to. Do it. I think this is a lot of fun to do on a holiday. So I'm really glad you were willing to uh, to talk with me today on Thanksgiving and share your insights and your writing with our audience. It's um, it's something I particularly am very grateful for, so thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and um, to all my listeners, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope it's a great start to all the festive and hectic holidays we have coming up, and I hope you find time to read and write in the meantime. Um, I will be back again. Have a great week. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin. Thank you for listening, everyone else. Have a great day.